Hey y'all, it's Mandy. Before we dive into this week's episode, I just want to take a moment and thank my patrons and premium subscribers who have been here partnering with me to create this work. I love doing this with a team. So if you are interested in being someone who creates this resourcing for people who live in care deserts or who just don't have a safe community to discuss grief, check out the show notes to become a patron of the show. You'll get access to monthly bonus episodes as well as our live chat over on Discord. And I would love to hear from you. Okay, that's all I had to say. Now let's get into this week's episode. Welcome back to Restorative Grief with Mandy Capehart. You are listening to episode 73, titled In Pursuit of Wisdom with Erin Browning. My guest on the show today is Erin Browning. Erin is a beautiful soul working to integrate the great losses of her life with her sense of self and place in the world. Her training, formerly as a speech pathologist, public speaker, and breathwork coach, have coalesced into a space where understanding of community, belonging, and identity are becoming more clear for her as she grieves and heals. So listen closely and hit rewind as often as needed, because I feel like there are some seriously beautiful moments in this conversation that you will want to hear more than once. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I am here with my lovely guest today, Erin Browning. Hi, Erin. Welcome to the show. Hi, Mandy. How are you today? Girl, I'm excited because I get to talk to you. So my life is full and my day is pleasant. (laughs) Thank you for having me here. Um, It's been a minute since we connected and um, I'm excited. I think it's a fresh conversation to have. Uh, for me, it's a fresh conversation to have on a podcast and I'm, I'm excited. It's timely and I think super relevant to the people who are in your world with grief. Yeah. Thank you. So I agree with you. We like, I talk with people every day about grief and community loss and creativity and health and moving through their, their experiences as holistically as possible. And so whenever I find someone new in the world who is doing just that and who is helping others to navigate their lost stories, it's, it's just like finding a golden ticket for me. It's another opportunity to learn and invite some people deeper into that. So I know a lot about your work and I know about your coaching and your online, your speaking events and your, your courses and all those things, but why don't you give our audience just a little context for who you are? Yeah. So um, by education, I am a speech language pathologist. That work has led me into a less traditional career path than, you know, I'm not the SLP who teaches kids to say their S sound. Um, I might teach a kid to say their S sound, but I have a very different approach with that. I believe that the breath, our breathing is a primary source of everything we do. I mean, obviously you don't live unless you're breathing. Um, and so that, that concept and that foundation, you can't breathe, you can't speak or swallow, uh, which my education taught me, unless you can breathe has led me into all this work of really how the breath uh, regulates the nervous system, how the breath helps us move through difficult moments and difficult times. Um, and even just like simple things like health and nutrition and, uh, I mean, communication, if we can't breathe properly, we can't do anything, um, to our maximum ability level. And so 
I have a little bit of a different skill set in that that's how I work with people who are grieving. That's how I work with people who can't breathe. That's how I work with a lot of people in a lot of areas. Um, I've done a lot of speaking events over the years in a variety of topics. Um, but my current interest is really that, like, how do we use our own body's wisdom to access uh, healing and living and living joyfully? That question is probably the crux of everybody's subconscious when they're grieving and when they're working through something like there's that sense of knowing, I know I have something within me. I know that what I need is here. Even when we feel that whirlwind of loss and that expectation that everything has changed and we're not sure what to do. I feel like that question, how do we use the wisdom of our own bodies is so crucial. I love how you articulated that. Yeah. And nobody can really teach you that. Right. Nobody can teach you that. I can point you in a direction. You can point somebody in a direction. We can mirror things to people, but really it is in you. We have everything we need in us from the moment we take that first breath in life till that last breath leaves. So how do you support clients or even yourself to start pursuing the beginning of that, like completely superfluous idea? Yeah. So I live in a little bit of a gray space. I'm an Ayurvedic health counselor as well. I went back to school and, and learned some of that years ago. Um, And, and so like, just from a very concrete standpoint, I look at, um, the posture of our head and neck and torso, the posture of the mouth. Um, So there's a, like a niche called myofunctional therapy, which some people, you know, use. And I have some training in that and have been, you know, 20 years in this field using that. But I don't believe that the muscles are the only thing and that the food intake is the only thing. I believe that the breath supports all of those. So what I work on is what is our body doing? What are we putting into our bodies and how do we, you know, basically retrain our, uh, our mouth and our throat to maximize the way that, that, that life force, and I'm just going to call breath life force, the way that that life force uh, sustains us and moves through us and isn't constricted and isn't, um, cut off or struggling. And, you know, as a griever, I'm sure you remember moments where you can't even catch your breath Mm -hmm. yeah, or you're holding your breath, like waiting for the next thing. Right. Um, so that is a, a foundational, very, very practical way that I work with people. Um, and it's all virtual and, uh, pretty beautiful. And I realize right now, so let, can I backtrack? I realize that I've done something. All I've done is talk about what I do, like in this professional realm. But like the really interesting part is that I'm here because I'm too, I'm a griever. I'm not just some expert who knows how to breathe. Right. Um, <laughs> my partner, Dave, um, he died two years and almost two months ago. Um, he had a massive heart attack. There were no indications. There was no pre-existing diagnosis. Um, And we had a normal night, normal day, normal evening. Um, 
in hindsight, I can say there were indicators like uh, existential indicators and like like clinical indicators that, that he had digestion issues, you know, which is like common heart attack problem. Mm. But we had eaten fajitas and margaritas. And at a certain age, you take Tums, right? <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, and so I found myself in this crux of having a life, having a man I loved, having a family because I had a stepson with him. And in a matter, I mean, this happened with, it was like, 20 minutes from the time that I came to him, watched him take his last breath, tried to resuscitate him, called the squad, the squad ran their protocol and he was gone. Mm -hmm. So in like 20 minutes, my whole world pretty much crumbled around me. Um, and that actually is the thing that is the qualification for any <laughs> of it. Well, it, I, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily call it a qualification. Like you are evidently a resource for people who are processing any kind of expression of loss or even tension in their bodies, because you're right. I tell people all the time, I'm like, without breath, your body will perish. So if you're holding your breath, if you are trying to inhale and you can't get enough oxygen, that's just your body giving you information that like there's pressure and tension that needs alleviate, like needs a chance to express itself and to gain new breath. So yet the two years ago, complete whirlwind had to turn your entire understanding of even your practice upside down, not just your work. Oh, it did. Um, yeah, it did. And honestly, so I'm not necessarily a stranger to grief. Um, my first like real run with grief was when my dad died when I was 20 mm -hmm. um, after a bout of cancer and my coping was not breath work or Ayurveda or anything like that. My coping was bars and boys mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. through college and then I had a divorce, um, in my mid mid thirties mm -hmm. and that coping became like work. Let's work. Let's build more of a career. Let's work really hard and do all these things. And I did it and I, you know, quite successfully did that. Um, but this go round with grief, it just didn't work. It didn't work to do it that way. I had to find a different way. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I was really lucky that I had kind of pre-orchestrated this life for myself where I had really, I was already doing breath work. Mm -hmm. I was already, you know, it, figuring out how all this fit together with my clinical skills and what my daily routine looked like. And, you know, I had really done a lot of work in that realm. So I found that it worked <laughs> when I needed it. I had already like learned it when the stakes were lower. It's so interesting you say that too, because I think what you've expressed is who you were in those seasons that you were experiencing a loss, that's completely typical to have a wholly different response to grief at different seasons of your life, because each grief event changes who you are fundamentally. They shift our sense of self and how we show up in the world. So yeah, how has now that you are, you know, two years into this loss of your partner, and I think you said is, did you say his name? Dave. Dave. So now that we are two years out of losing Dave and realizing, wow, this system I have for myself is already like supporting me beautifully. And that's great. How has that affected the way you move through the people around you and your stepson and your family? Uh, so it changed a whole lot of things uh, for me. It changed, 
it changed every bit about the way I relate to the world. Um, and I'm actually going to go back to a term you just said, you talked about expression of loss because what it absolutely changed was the way I expressed myself. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that I became abrasive in some ways. I mean, not in a bad way, like I don't consider it a bad way, but I definitely began to say more about my beliefs. Mm. Um, I definitely began to live a life that was a bit truer to me Mm. uh, and more integrated. So prior to this loss, I had professional Aaron. I had Aaron who was the stepmom, family Aaron. I had Aaron who did this woo-woo breath work, you know, and they were very compartmentalized, like fear dictating a lot of that, Mm. that I felt it all had to be separate. Uh, Let me say, this is still a work in progress. This is where I'm working today, every day. Uh, But what has happened is that expression of loss um, or that loss kind of has helped me um, weave the pieces of my expression together, kind of like a, I don't know, like a quilt or a, a, a textile mm-hmm. to weave those pieces of expression together into something that is way more whole and way more beautiful. Um, and I don't know that all the people who were my community before actually appreciate that, mm-hmm. but I appreciate it. And I realize that that is that at the end of the day is all that matters. It's not interesting how we have, again, like your hindsight to say, well, I see where I fit and things no longer fit. And now that I'm changing shape and confessing the honesty about who I am, I love that you're feeling more true and integrated about who you are, because that's exactly it. Grief like tears the veil for us to recognize where we've lied to ourselves, where we've just tried to make space and feel safe and secure yeah. And then you have that big grief event that challenges that notion. And in, it really challenges you to decide, well, what is this life that you want to live? Do you want to be honest? Do you want to upset the apple cart, even though that means a secondary loss, potentially of community, potentially of relationships with people who just see that you've changed and don't know how to handle it. It's worth it, but holy hell, is it painful along the way? Yeah, it is. So, you know, for me, what I found was there were a lot of people that we had in our lives that were in our lives because of the things we were doing. Yeah. So we were like a ski race family. So we had all these ski race friends or we lived at a ski resort. So we had, you know, all of those friends. Um, We were very steeped in volunteerism. Um, I was a, um, a leader. I was on the board of directors for a nonprofit organization. And I pretty much roped the whole family into it. So we were really part of this organization. Those people, maybe one, there's one person from that organization that I'm still in contact with. It it all just fell away and fell away and fell away. And it was painful, Um, super painful to watch that aspect of things fall away. But I understood it because the circumstances of the day-to-day life weren't there. I moved, you know, things were different. The harder part, I think of community um, for me, and I think I'm going to try to talk about this two ways. So first I had 
this amazing group of girlfriends that were an integral part of my life. They were the people that I messaged right after Dave died and they orchestrated their lives. They came and stayed with me. Like in the days after he died, they dropped their life and they, they set up a rotation and they came and stayed with me. They all came to his celebration of life, which was six months later. I mean, traveled far. We're not talking people who live down the road. These were women far away. And we had this group. Do you know what Marco Polo is? Oh, yes. Okay. So it's this weird, you know, it's a weird little app where you basically like have a monologue. We had this Marco Polo app and finally at some point, and it was a while into it, I just said to them, I love you all dearly. And I cannot devote my energy to this Marco Polo app any longer because I, but like, really, it just was, I can't listen to you talk about the remodel of your house. I can't listen to you talk about what you're fixing your kid for breakfast. I can't listen to those things because here's the deal. <laughs> and this is what grief does. We are only here so long. I'm not wasting my breaths. Um, so that community was probably my greatest loss. And I said, I'm happy to connect with any one of you or all of you but I need it to be in an energetic exchange. I love that. I love you. I don't want to not know those things about you, but I don't want to listen to your monologue for 10 minutes and then me monologue back. That is not the community I need currently. So that was probably the biggest loss of community Mm. um, for me was that, and it felt cruel in some ways to say that and accept that. Um, but it's what I had to do. It's funny you, I, I relate so heavily. I stopped using that app for the same reason. And I have this glorious group of friends and we use, we do use a different app now. It's called Voxer and it's only voice-based and I can fast forward them because I love them. And they know this. I've said it to their faces. I, I, they'll, it cuts you off at 15 minutes. And then you have to decide, am I going to keep talking and start a new message or am I going to stop? And so it's this cute little apology throughout every message. Oh, sorry, this is eight minutes. Oh, sorry, this is 10 minutes. But the reality is like, that's no big deal because I can listen to it as I'm going and they know I'm a multitasker, but it was the same thing with a couple of other friends who had Marco Polo for me. It was, there's no exchange of energy. I love that phrase because there's this drain of energy. I had to carve out time to actively listen or even watch because it's a video and bless their souls. They would do it while driving. So it was just, it's like, oh, I've got free time to do this. I have a long commute. Okay. But that's your stream of consciousness. That's not an intentional connection. And it was really hard because you love that person. And, and yet when you decide to remove yourself from that, you're absolutely right. That, that creates such a void. Hmm. Well, I'd never thought of it this way, but as you say that, I think the community I want makes me a priority and I make them a priority. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? A hundred percent. And even to call somebody on your commute is different. It is. I was just talking to um, my friends yesterday. I have a, I host a different podcast as well and it's seasonal. And I hadn't talked to her in a minute. So I just picked up the phone and called and we played phone tag for a few days before we connected. But I kept thinking, well, I could just send her a Vox message. Oh, I could just send her a voice over text or I could just text her. But I thought, no, this, I want to have a conversation. 
She matters. I want to invest. I want that intentionality in my relationships because when I say no to something else like Marco Polo, I can say yes to a one-on-one phone call for 20 minutes while I'm cooking dinner or like, it doesn't have to be a, I'm going to sit because I'm connected to the wall anymore. (laughs) We've got AirPods. You can say yes to the expression. Okay. So expression of your loss, but expression of your love, expression of your joy, expression of your life, expression of everything about you when you're not just absorbing. And I feel like that the, like, so I know that people are crazy about Marco Polo. I know that technology is wonderful. I'm not, I mean, all of my work is virtual. I'm crazy about technology and there's an aspect of it that if it's not done intentionally, I think that um, it becomes a one-sided expression. And for me, that's not creativity. I agree a hundred percent. And I love, I, I feel like you and I are probably similar in that we don't have the problem pushing back or saying like, nope, no, thank you, please. It, it, it will hurt us. And we're aware of that, but that the cost is greater to say nothing. Um, that the ability to pursue what is investing in ourselves, investing in our joy, investing in even like playfulness and the pursuit of integration at the cost of yet another loss is really valuable. And so I would love to hear how you found that in yourself. Is that something you've always carried that backbone that says, this is something I need to advocate. So, okay. So how did you stir that up? Because I don't think it's a personality thing. I think we all have that again, like the wisdom within our bodies. I think we all have access to that, but I know as a strong personality, I get told all the time, oh, wow, that must be really nice that you can say the thing and not care. Or like, you know, they miss the point. Of course I care. I actually care so much that I have to say the thing or it, it might eat me alive. Right. So, okay. Let me back up and say, I've always been a little bit like fiery and feisty. Okay. Mm -hmm. So yes, I do have that as a personality trait. But I've also been conditioned to please, I think, uh, and I'm going to say women, but I think this is true for many men as well. Um, I've been conditioned to please and keep peace. I've not ever been very good at it. And what I realized is that that struggle to, to do that, like that struggle to not be good at it and constantly be trying to like manipulate the world and manipulate myself really Mm -hmm. to keep the peace. Um, it was just garbage. So I learned that through loss. I learned that through divorce. Number one, when I finally got a backbone and said no more, that was a huge, huge moment for me. Um, but it came out of me after Dave died. I used to just say I was channeling him because he was, he was a Marine. He took no shit. (laughs) None. He said what he thought. He didn't care what people thought. And he was this one, like, like a giant teddy bear in the inside, but the outside to the outside world, he could be harsh. He could, but it just was the truth. He just spoke truth and his truth. And so in the beginning, I was like, I think I'm just channeling him, (laughs) but I wasn't. Um, And so two years down the road, um, I've gone through this whole process of feeling like I had to hang on to him or I was going to lose that in me. Like I thought he gave me my strength. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and now two years later, I realize, oh, wait, Mm -hmm. um, I do think that that love that I had with him 
allowed me to grow that strength in a certain way. Yeah. But once he was gone, it came out like a tiger. Mm. That just came like way out. Um, And it's harder now, even like down the road, it's a little bit harder because I'm not as raw. Uh, So it's a little bit harder sometimes to continue to do that. But I just have to over and over and over again, remind myself that um, A, I've survived what I believe is probably going to be the greatest loss of my lifetime. Mm. And the only way uh, to find the life that I want to live and that I love living is to stay true to me, mm-hmm. to mm. stay true to me. I actually talked to a friend not too long ago, like just this week, and we were talking about um, keeping a list of all the times that we self-censor so that we aren't being our most integrated self. So I think when we're not authentic and we're not our most integrated self, those are the moments where we lose that voice, right? Right. Those are the moments where you start to just please or keep the peace or just, you know, you pretzel yourself. So we had like we had this conversation and I'm going to start doing it. Like this is <laughs> the first moment I wrote down was that I was walking across the hall to my neighbor's house and I live in an apartment complex, right? Mm-hmm. It's a great, it's like an old moccasin factory that's been converted into lofts. Tiny little walk, like four steps to this young girl, single woman. We, I was going over there and I didn't have a bra on. I mean, I'm fully clothed. It's winter in Maine, but I was like, I can't go over there without a bra on. And I then I was like, really? Why? So I wrote that down. Don't censor yourself. <laughs> and I walked over to her. I mean, I had on a sweater and everything. I mean, the simplest of things, how often are we censoring ourselves, not just with our voice, but with every single thing we do in this world that trying makes us fit into a shape. Yeah, trying to fit into this ideal of what's expected when the reality is we may not want that ideal. And I, you mentioned you're not as raw anymore. And so it can be harder to stay true to that, um, that expression that becomes very, that's closer to the surface, I think. And I relate to that so significantly um, because there's like this willingness to fight for yourself in a way when vulnerability hits the surface and you realize I have no, no true control over the things around me or what happens in my life. The only place I can express control is over my existence. And that's not always true for a lot of us as well. So when we have access to that intensity of emotion and experience in life, that rawness really allows us to engage as an energy, you know, and, and move differently through the world in a way that we are carving out new communities and new spaces to exist. And, um, I think recognizing the importance of that allows authenticity to flourish as opposed to us like chasing authenticity or thinking, okay, well, I'm going to be my most authentic self today. I'm like, I'm pretty sure like that statement nullifies the intention. Yeah. No, it's so interesting to me because like I have, I've done a lot of writing around this. Like, who am I? I don't even know who I am right now. I'm reinventing who I am, but I do, I do know who I am. I just can't, like, if you ask me that, write down 10 things who Aaron is, that's silly. 
it doesn't right. work that way, right? Productive. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. And I do know who I am. Um, and what I have to do is continue to put that out and put that out and put that out and write down the moments where I have to wear a bra and say, I'm not doing that anymore. How I want to do what I want. I want to be who I want. Mm -hmm. um, and the community will come. Mm -hmm. I think the community will come. Um, I mean, it already does, right? It's already yeah. there. It's just, it looks very differently than it did before. As a grief professional, we talk a lot about loss being like the first two years are really where you are sorting through the mud, working consistently with brain fog, trying to find out where you have energy to heal or to put attention and where you don't, and really just refining and simplifying our lives. There's something that within there, you start to sort through the chaos of your life, right? Things start to kind of not necessarily make sense, but take on new form. And I know that that's something that in the stories you've told, but also in the way that you show up in the world, how you pursue that regrounding, that stability, that formation, and also on top of that, pursuing what makes you feel joyful and whole and integrated. What are some ways that you would help someone start to see, hey, the ground beneath you is settling. Here's some advice or inspiration about how to pursue what brings you joy? Yeah. So there are a few things. Number one, I think that, um, and I've done this all through grief. It was my saving grace mm -hmm. to find uh, simplified routines. So everything became super simple. And I, I really tried to carry with me some routines of what does my day look like? What does my nutrition look like? What does my body movement look like? That was difficult because I, at 10 months, I walked away from the, the house, from the family. I got rid of everything I owned except for six boxes that I stored at my parents' house wow. and what fit in the back of my Nissan Pathfinder. And I just hit the road and I lived in Airbnb for a year. <laughs> everywhere. I went to Mexico. I went to Arizona. That's how I actually ended up. I'm in Portland, Maine right now. Um, and I just rambled for a year. So finding routine that isn't necessarily routine dependent upon anything other than my internal being. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's what I did. And actually I'm working more on that right now. Um, currently, because after a while, when you're not as raw and you can function a little bit, that stuff falls away and you fall right back into like, let's overbook myself and let's do these other, th the things that never served you. And you, you knew it when you were so raw, you couldn't do any differently. So I think that number one, it's like, find that internal stability whatever that might be, um, and find a coach that can guide you through it, find somebody that can help you find internal stability so that you can shift that internal landscape because the external landscape is always going to be changing in our world. Yes. Always. Yeah. Um, so that is the first thing. The second thing that I have found that has really, especially in more recent months and times, um, is my creativity 
and my most treasured mode of creative expression is writing. Um, writing was survival for me in the first two years of grief. It, grief. it was complete survival. Hmm. Um, but now it is a little bit different. I'm not writing to survive. I'm writing because I have some things stirring and I think they need a beautiful home somewhere else, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of just stirring inside of me, they need to be somewhere else. So uh, that creativity for me came about in the shape of writing. I've also been painting, um, just trying to find like these fun things that I did when I was a kid, right? When you were a kid, you made paintings. When you were a kid, you created the craziest stuff ever, forts in the bedroom, what, you know, um, whatever it might be, just to pull in a bit more of that Mm -hmm. self-expression into my everyday life. So that's been what I think is, is propelling me forward and what I think would help everyone propel forward. We are all meant to be creative humans in some way. I agree with you. I have an eight-year-old and the other day she was playing with Legos, which she has suddenly started to love. It's a newer thing. And I asked her what she was doing because I'm sure she was supposed to be doing something else. And she said, mom, when I'm struggling or frustrated, I just need to play with my Legos. And obviously she has a lot of language because this is the work that I do all the time. So I'm like, Oh, I see tension. Let's work something out. And most of the time she's like, cool, I don't care. But I can tell that those things are getting in. Right. And in that moment, it reminded me to settle back and think, okay, she's right. She's overwhelmed and she's stressed. Kids are brilliant masterminds at compartmentalizing. And that coping mechanism is actually self-protective. It's really healthy in a lot of ways. So how do I take a hint from her and check in with myself. What do I go do to play or create when I need to, what, what access do I have? And I, I'm a big believer that playfulness is like the key to letting us get back into our bodies, especially with breath work. Like you think about sports, you can't do them without breathing. In fact, you need extra attention to your breath to survive (laughs) on the soccer field or wherever you are. And so I just, I love that. Hmm. Yeah. So what form is your poet is your, well, poetry, but is your, let me say that differently. So what form is your creativity taking now you're painting? Yeah, I am painting. And so interestingly, I had even like taken workshops about this. Um, So for a year I was determined I was writing memoir Mm -hmm. Um, and I got seven chapters drafted And I had this beautiful whiteboard that I looked like a crazy person with arrows. And, you know, I was like, okay, when I, when you start to see me pull string from one concept to another, send me to the mental institution. (laughs) But I had this whole great scheme of the memoir. And I don't think that's a never thing, but what was happening was I was writing for survival. um, And, and I felt that it was an important story to be told about love but it kept coming out in the form of poetry. (laughs) Like I'd be trying to write a scene and then these words would just flow out like poems. And I thought, what is this? I can't put this in the book. So I started just pulling that out and rolling with it. And so I've, I've been painting 
Um, hiking and walking is a consistent in my world. I always do that. And that's not new and it's not going anywhere. Um, and then th this new poetry thing is pretty cool. It's pretty fun. Hmm. I am also doing something similar, bringing poetry as an expression into my contemplation practices and trying to just decide that it's okay if it goes nowhere. Kind of like you said with your memoir, it's okay if it's just for me, it's okay if it's just an expression, uh, but it's a worthy investment of my time. It is something that creates expansion within and even invites breath work to give me a chance to just yeah. exhale some emotion or some thoughts that hadn't really gotten a chance to get out before. And I think that that's, you know, that's the way that we really give our bodies the honor that they need by, by letting them work out through more than just physical movement. Right. Yeah. So it's interesting mm -hmm. as we're kind of talking about this, it's, it kind of is making me giggle about giving things a home and, um, you know, figuring out, like, what are we doing with all of these things? So what I decided to do when the poetry started rolling out of me, um, I'm making a, a small book um, and I'm just going to self-publish it. And this actually ties it all back perfectly because I have a list of people that I'm going to print copies and give it to. And it's my old community. Wow. It's these people who were part of my life and for a long time, and even a part of my life through some of this healing, even if they're not part now, mm -hmm. um, those, I have a list of those people that I'm just going to give that book to, um, once it is finished. So it's on track and hopefully will be, gosh, probably by the time this podcast comes out, this book will be available. So that's kind of exciting to see that I've already written all these poems that were just there. They just needed to be collated. Yeah. Erin, I love that because it speaks to your heart for those communities as well. Often I think we talk about community loss and there's a, there's a sadness of course, but sometimes there's that underlying resentment. Like, why yeah. couldn't you stick with me? Or why couldn't you be what I needed? Instead, you have taken it in such a self-responsibility way to say, I love these people and I see this, but this is not the approach. This is not the community that I need right now. And it's not for a lack in them. It's for a need in me. It's for a new shape that I'm taking on. So to honor that community by saying, this is actually a gift. It's not a, a screw you letter. This is a something just so you no. know who I am and where I am. Yeah. This is the community has always been a gift. Even if I'm not a part of that community currently, there's nothing but love. Yeah. I mean, sure, there have been moments where I'm like, screw you. Sure, there have been moments where I think I can do better or you're making me crazy. But at the core of all of this is love. I learned that the the last breath that Dave took in this life, it was the most intimate interaction of my entire life. And we don't talk about death in that and intimacy in that way, but it was absolutely the most intimate action of my entire life. And there's nothing but love. And I can't really walk through the world in any other way. I don't have it in me. That's my authenticity. I don't have it in me to be anything but love. It doesn't mean I'm boundaryless. It doesn't mean I'm inviting, you know, a serial killer to come hang out and have lunch with me, but there is an immense amount of love 
you know, to give it's limitless. Mm -hmm. So my poetry, um, might not always be an expression of love. There's lots of emotion in there that is different, but I definitely think that, that it is a gift in that way. Hmm. I don't know if there's a more beautiful place to end it. Erin, thank you for making time and, and bringing your heart and your story, but even just your insight, there were so many beautiful moments that I hope everyone else can hear because I took a lot of notes and I'm definitely going to enjoy going back and listening to this again. But if anybody is interested in, in seeing more of your work or connecting with you, where can they find you? My professional Instagram is Aaron.l.browning. And then my poetry Instagram, which might have like two followers <laughs> <laughs> is spaces of gray and both of, I'm just on Insta. So, um, that's where I am. Perfect. Thank you so much. I knew that what you brought would be fire. Well, I'm glad that you enjoyed it. I enjoyed Thank you for listening to episode 73 of Restorative Grief. Did you pick up what Erin was putting down? The willingness in her story over and over again to shift and pursue what resonates with her soul is a position of authority and power. Finding what resonates with your sense of self is a complicated thing as we grieve, and yet she is living proof that you integrate through exploration, creative expression, and finding new ways to exchange energy with that which is simple and true in this life. If this is your first time listening to Restorative Grief, I hope you gained a little insight into your own healing story and what might help you express your grief in a new and helpful way. Please take a moment to leave a review, and if you feel so inclined, to share this episode with your own community. Be brave. They won't think you're crazy or something is wrong. They're going to see that you're making moves towards becoming more whole, and that's incredible. Take a look at the show notes to connect with Erin or myself on Instagram, or even to see what it would take for you to become a patron of the show, because the patrons keep this work going, so we would love to have you join us. And as always, one last thing, please remember the only solution for grief is to do the work of grieving. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.